everybody. Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports' daily NFL podcast. I am Will Brinson. I am your host. This is draft week. It is Wednesday. It is draft eve. Happy draft eve. Very exciting. Um, as you're listening to this, I'm probably making my way to Nashville, where the home of country music and the 2019 NFL draft. Also the home of John Breach. Hi, John Breach. I'm coming to you live from Nashville. I would just like you to know, Brinson, that no one in Nashville actually talks like that. So for all of you Nashvillians listening, uh, Brinson's southern accent was totally garbage. Uh, and when he gets here, he will realize that that's not how he talks. No, I know, no, I know. I've been to Nashville. I came to your wedding. I know that Nashville, that's a, that's an Eastern North Carolina redneck accent. I, I mean, I've said this on the podcast, I think before, John, but I'm kind of debating just going, like leaning full tilt, like fully into this accent. Like just, just when I, when I cover the NFL, like when I do radio interviews, I'll be like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think the one thing you look at with Cleveland Farrell is he really hasn't completely dominated as a pass rusher, Jim. He is very good against the run. Like what, like would I, would I get fired? Would I get, would I be so unique that I got promoted? How do you think it would happen? How do you think it would play I, out? Well, first, I think that podcast listenership would fall at least 50%. <laughs> so that would be the first thing that would happen, the first strike. Uh, you know, the higher ups see that and they're like, all right, well, what's going on with Brinson? Has he gone crazy? <laughs> this thing's messed up. So then maybe you get demoted. I don't think you get fired. There's probably something, uh, you Just know, so you can't fire someone. Over an accent. A, yeah. a, right, right. You can't fire someone for being pregnant. You can't fire him for having a, a weird voice. But I do think uh, you probably would not be too popular. You're probably right. They probably would stop sending me to Nashville. They are sending me to Nashville this week. The entire Pick 6 podcast crew will be there. As a reminder, if you listen to this show, if you like this show, Fire up CBS Sports HQ. Well, first of all, if you if you like the show and you live Na- you live in Nashville, you're around Nashville, you're going to Nashville for the draft. Come party with us at the Dog House Saloon. We will be there live covering the draft. Uh, we're going to do a pre-draft show starting at seven p.m. on Thursday. Central time. Seven p. No, Eastern time. What? Yes. Because the draft is at 7 p.m. Central Time. So there's a pre-draft show. It's a basically a live version of this podcast. Uh, it's going to be me, Jamie Eisenberg, and Brian McFadden currently, I think. But I would bet that John Breach ends up getting involved with Barton Simmons or somebody like that. Um, and then we will do a live draft show from the bar. It's the Doghouse Saloon, D-A-W-G. It's on. Uh, it's near West End and on Broadway, I believe. Um, and we will, uh, we will then do a live draft show when the draft starts at 8 p.m. Eastern. And then on Friday... We will be live um, at 6 p.m. Eastern time for the pre- pre-show and 7 p.m. for draft coverage. And then on Saturday, we will be live at 11.30 a.m. Eastern time and I assume live for the draft at noon. Maybe it's just a half hour. I'm not sure. But you're welcome to come and drink beer at any point in time, hang out and party with us. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're gonna And Brenton will even let you touch his hair so that you can see – whether or not it's real, there's a lot of debate about that. There's fan pages that popped up. <laughs> I am still not even sure if it's real, but definitely if you show up and you get a little buzzed, 
you got to rub Brenton's head. Uh, absolutely. Once the show is over, you can rub you can rub my head to your heart's delight. And if you can't make it for whatever reason, you can still watch the draft show on CBS Sports HQ, our free 24-hour streaming sports network. We have our full NFL crew providing analysis, grades, fanny, fanny implications, fantasy implications for every pick over all seven rounds, live as they get announced. Prisco, Cannell, Quinn, Lock and Fora, Wilson, McFadden, Breach, Eisenberg, Barton Simmons, and more. Everyone you know and love. So if you're in Nashville, stop by, grab a beer, and if not, fire up your Fire TV, Roku, Apple TV, whatever it is. For CBS, download the CBS Sports app. It's always on, and it's always free. And, so, and Brinson, we thrive in bar settings, so this can only be good. Nothing. I mean, honestly, John, like when they're they're like, hey, listen, you're gonna do an hour long pre-draft show each of the three days. I was like, all right, that's cool. You know, it would be like it was at the Super Bowl or the Combine. They're like, no, it's at a bar. I was like, bam, this is going to rule. Like, even if there's 10 people there, 20 people there, 1,000 people there, it's going to be a blast. I, I mean, I thrive in a bar setting. I thrive in getting attention in my way at a bar. I thrive in being loud and boisterous at a bar. I thrive in talking too much at a bar. I don't know if they'll let me drink at this bar. Hopefully they will. I mean, I probably can't drink during the show, right? But I mean, after well, I'm going to keep a tally going because I think I'm going to take a shot for every autograph you sign. Uh, but I won't do it until after the show's over because obviously you don't want to. You know, we got to be functional while the show's going on. That I bet you don't take very many shots. I'd love to sign some <laughs> autographs. That'd be great. We'll have some. Well, I'm sure we'll have some pick six swag. So come on by the Doghouse Saloon in Nashville. Uh, moving along to the news of the day for Tuesday, April 23rd, my wife's birthday, last yesterday. Um, Let's start first, Breach, with the big trade trade bomb that dropped on Tuesday when it was announced. Well, it hadn't been announced yet, but it is expected to happen that Frank Clark has been traded from the Seahawks to the Chiefs, shaking up the draft and then shaking up Frank's wallet and the Chiefs' uh, pay uh, salary cap. They handed him a five-year, reported five-year, $105 million deal. I did see David Cantor, DeMarcus Lawrence, DeMarcus Lawrence agent's, Agent, tweet at uh, Adam Schefter who first reported was like, that's fake news. Those numbers are not real. Like, he did not get more than DeMarcus Lawrence. So we'll see how that plays out. But uh, big deal for Frank Clark from the Chiefs, probably part of the trade. This has been in the works for a while. Uh, what's your reaction to Kansas City giving up number 29 overall and a future second rounder in 2020 as well as a future mid-round pick swap for Frank Clark? Well, I think if you're the Chiefs, you Andy Reid is probably just beating himself up about the way the 2018 season ended. They couldn't stop the Patriots. Their defense was horrible. Nobody had any clue what the Chiefs were doing this offseason when they dumped Justin Houston and D Ford. But now it's like all come together. Uh, it all makes sense now. I think trading for Frank Clark was brilliant. Sure, you hate to give up a first-round pick, but I don't think there's going to be a guy at 29 who would be anywhere close to as talented as Frank Clark is, or that he could, someone could come in and contribute as quickly as Clark will. So, uh, you know, I don't know about giving him 105 million. Obviously, he's going to get a lot of money no matter where he got it. So you kind of had to based on the market price. But I, I, I mean, I love this move. The Chiefs, their weak link was the defense. They have spent the past six weeks just beefing up their defense. You know, they added Honey Badger. They traded. They got Emmanuel Ogba from the Browns. So it's just been boom, boom, boom. Their defense. Isn't going to be as good as their offense, but I love the trade. I, I like the trade too. Um, I, I look. I think that I would personally prefer 
to sit back at number 29 and try and identify a pass rusher who's going to be there in this particular draft. I think there's a lot of potential talent that you like. You could have drafted somebody like Jeffrey Simmons, who you could draft and develop. You could maybe get lucky and have Cleveland Farrell fall to you, and it's probably unlikely. Rashawn Gary, who's a we'll get, it's good to mention that now since we're talking about pass rushers, but he's apparently dealing with a torn labrum that is not. By the way, don't draft Rashawn Gary. Just don't do it because if he's dealing with a torn labrum and he's going to be able to fight through it for the full season and just worry about it after the season, that guy is not going in my first round of my mock draft. I don't think Montez Sweat is either is either with the heart issue. Um, but I think when you look at that, I would prefer to try and sit there and get a pass rusher at twenty nine. But there's not a good, as, as I said on this podcast on Monday, there's no pass rusher as good as Frank Clark. And so in that, in that respect, when you've got Patrick Mahomes and his rookie deal, when you came so close to having a shot to compete for a, a Super Bowl, when you had such a good year and you're following up Mahomes MVP season, go all in. And you're transitioning from a 3-4 defense to a 4-3 defense. It's not easy to find a pure 4-3 defensive end. Frank Clark is one. He's great against the run. He's a fantastic pass rusher. 27 quarterback hits, 13 sacks last year. It granted him a contract year, but I don't think he should stop being motivated because he got paid. I like the move for the Chiefs. I love the move from the Seahawks. I thought to, to have this guy who clearly they were putting on the market after they paid Russell Wilson, they're dealing with the you know, the fallout from that, trying to, you know, when you pay Russell, you got to develop guys, develop younger guys to be able to actually get a first round pick and then get an extra second round pick from the Chiefs, which granted basically is a third round pick, barring the Chiefs having a disaster season. Still, to get that draft capital for Frank Clark, really good job. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, would you rather have Frank Clark for a one and a two or uh, Khalil Mack for two ones? I don't know the answer. I just sort of, I just sort of think I harken back to the, it was like the Bears paid a lot for that, but they gave up a late round pick this year and what they hope is a late round pick next year. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, that I would rather have Khalil Mack on my defense. So it's just a matter of, am I willing to up that second round pick they gave to Clark? Yeah. It's basically, 30, Clark. It's, it's basically 30 spots unless the right, Bears right. totally crater this year. So yeah. I, I guess, I guess I just, I just think about the Cleo Mack deal. And you're like, man, that's not, you know, I mean, like he really did get a pretty good price. Like we thought, I mean, if the Bears stunk this year and stink next year, then it was a horrible deal, but they were good. And so it worked out for him. Um, same thing, you know, with the Chiefs, the Chiefs were to crater. This would be a problem, but I, you know, the, it's unlikely for the Chiefs. They're not giving up. They're giving up two big draft picks, but not crazy high draft picks. Uh, I like the move, and I think Seattle, who only had four picks coming in, now with 21 and 29, can do a lot of work in terms of trading back, getting extra picks. Maybe I mean, if they wanted, they could combine those picks and move up and get somebody like T.J. Hawkinson. I mean, you know, or move up and get a pass rusher. It a lot, a lot is on the table. And, and well, and that's the thing with the Seahawks is that you knew they were going to do whatever they could to get more picks because they love having as many picks as possible. There's no way they were going to end this draft with the four picks they went in with. And now they'll probably take that 29th overall pick and turn it into like 17 more picks. And then half of those picks will be used on running backs. Uh, that's right. They'll just draft uh, Josh Jacobs and um, uh, Miles Saunders in the first round. That'll be their two first round picks. <laughs> take Josh Jacobs at 21 and Miles Saunders at, uh, at 29. It is Miles Saunders, right? How many, uh, how many, what, what percentage of, um, yeah, Miles Saunders. What percentage of these draft picks would you say you know heading into this draft, John? It's just you and me. There's nobody else listening. You can tell Well, me. let's see. Not as many as Wilson. That's for sure. Well, Ryan's job is literally to be the draft analyst. So, you know, all the basics, you know, mostly offensive players and then obviously defensive studs, you know, your Quentin Williams, your Josh Allens. 
all those guys. I'm uh, not questioning. I'm just I'm legitimately curious. No, I'm saying if I had to run the show once you get past probably the first round. So I think I could last one round without studying anything, without looking at anything uh, right now where I could talk good details on players. But you right. know, I'm not I'm not 60 players deep. So I'll tell you, you that. Okay, all right, all right. I'm not. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I was just curious. I mean, I, you don't have to be 60 players deep. Pete Prisco's job, Ryan Wilson's job is to be 60 players deep. Um, plus, there's always a there's always Thursday and Friday where you can cram, or Wednesday and Thursday, I guess, where you can cram. Uh, let's see what else happened in the world of football. Uh, Ben, do we care about Ben Roethlisberger potentially uh, signing a deal? Do we care about that at all? Yeah. I think the funniest thing about that situation is that. It seems like a total Big Ben move. You wait for the Russell Wilson contract to get done, and now that becomes kind of maybe not your ceiling. I don't think he'll get as much money as Russell Wilson, but he's going to get a huge deal now, even though he's 37. Uh, you know, like how much money, if you're the Steelers, are you committing to him and for how long? Mm. Um, right now, I mean, I would sign Ben to a uh, – I would sign him through his 39-year-old season. I don't think – I don't think he's going to play when he's 40. Although I could see him, I could see him like wanting to play when he's 40 for some weird reason. You know what I mean? Uh, that's 37, 38, 39. That's four more years. I mean, that is a lot out of his body. Yeah. I mean, he's been, I don't know. And you know what the crazy thing is? We're basically the same age as Roethlisberger. So it's like, we kind of know how it feels. Do you roll out of the morning and could you quarterback an NFL team at your age? I mean, I've been drinking like more beer than I should lately. And by, by the way, uh, thank you. To, uh, the kind folks at Brewdog sent us some beer to the, uh, Raleigh CBS offices. I was about to drink one before this podcast, John. It's called, uh, I think it's a Pat's Pulpit. Yeah, it is Pat's Pulpit, which is like the name of a Pat's website, actually. Um, I was going to try it. It's a milkshake IPA, but then like, I got, do you know about the trick where you can wrap, um, a, a wet paper towel around a can of beer and put it in the freezer? No. If you, my brother-in-law Jay taught me this. If you do that, Put it in the freezer for 20 minutes. That beer will be ice cold. So if or like, the beer is going to explode and the joke's on me, right, Brenton? Late April Fool's. Shake up a Diet Coke, put it in the freezer, yeah. and then walk With away. With the Mentos. And then leave for three days, yeah. But uh, anyway, I put a Pat's Pulpit in the uh, in the freezer. I was like, yes, I'm going to drink this while I do this podcast breach. And I I took it out, and it was like I looked at the ABV. It was like 9.5. I was like, I can't do that. It's too early. i got to cook a steak for my wife. I have to write a mock draft and write a, a bold prediction. So a rare occasion where I abstained from drinking a beer during a podcast, pretty proud of myself for that one. But um, I think this is one of those tangents that people don't like about this podcast. Uh, Big Ben. Yeah. I don't, I wouldn't want to sign. I wouldn't want guaranteed money through his forties. I would want to know that there's like, I would want out clauses in case he decides to retire. Cause he's threatened to retire so many times. I do think though, I saw, I saw this on sportsbook.ag because of my, my buddy bets on there. And I was, yeah. Illegally, whatever. Um, I was, I was telling about some, I was just looking at props for him for the draft. Big Ben is 50 to one to win the MVP. I, hey, that was my dark horse last season. I thought he was going to win MVP. I thought this was before all the levy on Bell. We didn't know he was playing or he wasn't going to play. Thought he was going to throw for the most yards in the league, which he did. But I mean, Ben's always a dark horse because their offense always puts up huge numbers. And, and if they're any good, you have to like it. If they beat, if they beat, if they win the division over the favored Browns, the Browns are actually favored. Uh, if they beat out the Browns for the division, and Ben is awesome without Bell and Brown, I think there could be a major push to make him the MVP. So fifty to one to me for Ben is a slammeroo. If you see any, if I mean, I would, 
I think that's a, I mean, look, it's an MVP thing. It's going to be voted on by the media. It's not control, like it's not most passing yards. It's not a, it's going to be end up being a subjective vote that you have to deal with. But you know, maybe your, uh, maybe your buddy Brinson will push some big, big. I, I think the play here is return your wife's birthday presents, bet that money on Roethlisberger. And then when he wins, now you have 50 times more money to spend on her next year. And that's how you play it. And tell her more presents next year. And she can cheer for Ben. It'll be, I mean, that's. And if Ben wins, he'll win like four days before Valentine's Day. So we are going huge for Valentine's Day if Ben wins. That's a good idea. If anybody bets on Ben Roethlisberger to win MVP and he does do it, you know, maybe, uh, maybe we'll get a little, let us know. Maybe we'll get a little favorable editorial push from, uh, <laughs> kind of set on the action. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I'm just kidding. We would never do that. Uh, oh, uh, we got to talk about this, John. Your boy, Robbie Gold. This is unbelievable. I felt bad I took this story from you, but I'd already started it, so I didn't want to bail out on it. Uh, Robbie Gold told Adam Schefter of ESPN that he is, he snatched all of his offers to the 49ers off the table. He had offers. He was like, hey, here's what I want for a, co- a contract. He pulled them off, said, I'm not negotiating with you. I am not reporting. I do not want to play for you anymore, and I want to trade, preferably by Thursday. What have you ever heard of a kicker, a kicker demanding a trade, refusing to negotiate and saying he won't play? It sounds like he might be willing to retire. I, I kind of think they'll call that bluff, but I don't know. Well, let me just say that I am mad that he did it today and didn't wait like a week because there is nothing I want mm-hmm. more out of the off season. A kicker demanding a trade is the most off season headline you could ever possibly have, but it's going to be overshadowed by the draft this week. But this story, I love every single aspect of the story because, A, you have a guy. This isn't another position. A lot of times, you know, we saw Le'Veon Bell get franchise tag. A lot of those guys are worried about getting injured. They're worried about making more money. Well, Robbie Gold, if he signs that franchise tag, he instantly becomes the highest-paid kicker for one season in NFL history. So it's like you're the highest-paid kicker ever if you sign the tag. And now, you know, you kind of made it clear during the offseason that you wanted to be in Chicago. Uh, but this is just the weirdest, craziest situation involving a kicker what in the history of kickers since pat mcafee fell in a fountain and got arrested (laughs) it sounds like robbie gold wants to be pat mcafee's a punter by the way sounds like um i know what you mean sounds like he wants to be in chicago like he really like because you sort of read the statements and his wife and their kids stayed in Chicago when he was released by the Bears and went to play for the Giants and then went to play for the 49ers. So presumably he's just sort of living solo during the season. I mean, that's a really long time, right? So from I mean, from September, early September to I mean, I, these kids are probably preschool and school age. So, I mean, it's not like his wife's flying with a bunch of kids every week from San Francisco to Chicago. That's just, that, that's rough, man. Right. Well, I think another part of this that's weird, too, and, and actually that's funny because my dad's first two years playing for the Bengals, 1980 uh my whole family lived in California. So he was doing uh, – year yeah. living in Cincinnati, going back to Oakland. And so the thing is until you have like a long-term contract, you don't want to move them out there which is what gold situation is here because you have a one-year deer. You don't want to move your family, your rooted family in Chicago to San Francisco if you're only going to be there for one year. But the other part of this whole thing is that, like, apparently he was mad that they were talking to Stephen Goskowski before he signed with the Patriots. 
And if I'm the 49ers, that felt like it was just they were checking all their boxes. They're like, sure. well, if Robbie doesn't sign with us, what's plan B? Oh, let's call up Steven Goskowski and see if he'd be interested. And now Gold's mad that they were trying to t- check all their boxes. Uh, hey, well, you didn't want me because you were talking to this other kicker. Uh, man, kicker drama. It's Trust the best me. kind of drama. It is the best kind of drama. Um, Odell Beckham said some stuff on Twitter. I don't care about that. Anything else, uh, news-wise happened in the PM? I was out at the, uh, out, out doing some dad stuff at Aquatots. I don't think there was. We, we talked a little about, I mentioned Le'Veon Bell, I think three times. He's not a voluntary mini camp. You know, each team that has a new coach gets to have a three day mini camp in April. It's voluntary. It's not like the mandatory ones in June. Uh, but if you are the Jets and you just signed this dude to this monstrous free agent contract, don't you kind of expect him to maybe show up at voluntary mini camp? Yes. Yes. Very much so. Hey, man, we gave you all that money. How about you show up and be a volunteer? Uh, I was just be a volunteer and a leader and, uh, and, and help us out here. Yeah, I'd be furious. And like the other part of this is this dude hasn't taken part in a football practice in two years. Like he showed up for their conditioning phase one last week, but that's just lifting weights. He skipped all the Steelers workouts in 2018. Last time he was involved in a football practice with a football and teammates is 2017. Yes, yeah. I mean, that's insane. And so he could have ended that streak, just show up. Show them that you're in football shape. Take a few snaps. Take a few handoffs. You know, you don't have to do much. You just have to be there. And he didn't even do that. So it blows my mind that he wasn't there. And the Jets can't be happy. You know, Adam Gase, after Tom Coughlin spilling over his words last week and with the voluntary and not voluntary thing, Gase really watched his words today. Uh, But, man, I would be PO'd. That was the Jets. I I would be too. I would want him there. Um, All right. I think I don't. don't... I'd be so mad I would trade him to the Steelers. That would actually be funny. What would the Steelers take in return or give up in return? Like a, like a six round pick? One of the picks they got in the, uh, Antonio Brown trade. <laughs> um, all right. Let's get out of here. We're going to throw it to Ryan, Ryan Wilson and myself. I'm going to throw it to myself. John, I'm going to take a break. I'll be back with Ryan and we're going to do a, uh, three more most interesting teams that is a follow up. From Monday show breach. I'll see ya later today, buddy. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right. The Packers draft strategy, Ryan. They have 10 total picks. Two, count them, two first-rounders. We really give them two first-rounders. After they traded traded with the Saints last year in the Marcus Davenport deal when New Orleans came up. And this is a – I would say that 
even when you factor in the Giants and all the hubbub surrounding them, even when you factor in the Raiders and all the chatter with their three first-round picks and the guys they traded away for it, I don't think there's any there, – there's no more pressured team heading into this draft than the Green Bay Packers. Agree or disagree? They're up there, obviously, because of the off-field convers- uh, the off-season conversations about the relationship with Aaron Rodgers and uh, now departed Mike McCarthy. He's not dead. He was just fired. And then Matt LaFleur coming in, who's four years older than Aaron Rodgers. How's that dynamic going to work? Is Aaron Rodgers going to listen to someone who's four years older than him, telling him what to do when he wasn't listening to someone who's 20 years older than him, telling him what to do? And we're looking there. They sign Preston Smith. That's a huge get. Darius Smith out of the Ravens is their edge rusher. Helps immediately. Adrian Amos was part of that awesome defense in Chicago. Clay Matthews is now in L.A., but that's okay. He was 31 or 32, and, and they can replace him in the draft if they, if they so choose. But, again, you're exactly right, Brenton. The issue is how does the Aaron dynamic work out? Does this team implode in upon itself? I don't think it does because they've had these issues for years, and Aaron Rodgers has always found a way if he stays healthy. So that's the question. Can he stay healthy, and can he get along with Matt Floor, or will he be in the huddle drawing up plays of the dirt like he was literally doing, according to the Tyler Dunn's article, article in Bleacher Report, telling receivers what to do? And, and in, in which case, what does running, that mean? Running out and like grabbing guys from the bunch formation and dragging them back across and telling them to line up and just run around until he gets open. Um, I, I think it's fascinating. You're right. And it's going to be an interesting dynamic. I, also fascinating to me, Ryan, is, is what they do with, with these two draft picks because I think you can make a case that the Packers have needs on, needs on the defensive side of the ball. We saw that graphic. They added Preston Smith. They added Zadarius Smith. So they don't need pass rushers, but it would behoove you to get some younger guys and to build out a rotation. Um, they have Mike Daniels, Kenny Clark there in the middle. Uh, they still could use some help, I think, on the defensive side of the ball. Linebacker's not a lockdown spot right now. Um, they've, they've drafted a lot of guys in recent years at the defensive back position. Um, we, we haven't really seen anybody explode, but it is early in their career. Um, and, and so, uh, I think that maybe this, honestly, if you look at the Packers and you start to talk about what they need more than anything, I think you could argue they need offensive weapons more than they need defensive players. Do you think that their strategy in this draft will put that on display? We talked about it on, on last episode, uh, talking about the, the Packers and possibly them being in the conversation for TJ Hawkinson, the tight end in Iowa at number 12. Or even number 30 if Noah Fant slips there. But, and I've had them in previous mock drafts. By the way, I've done 32 mock drafts, for instance, since last September. That's not an Is that actually, is that, is that actually the number? Are you counting it? 32? 100%. That's right. 32. So it, one, one for every team. One for every team. And I've had them taking tight ends in, in previous versions. In the seven round version, I did not. Are you, sir, are you doing one final mock draft, uh, this week ahead of the, the final NFL draft? Three rounder on Wednesday, the day before the draft. Look for that. And, um, I don't even know how it's going to turn out. So we'll see. See, my concern is that like when you do that last one before the draft, um, cause I've been doing these for a few, you know, like I think five or six years now, uh, that you get analysis by paralysis uh-huh. and that you end, you end up going with like weird stuff that you wouldn't actually want to be in your mock draft and you get away from your basic uh, you know, tendencies that you liked before and there's all this buzz. It's like, it's like the preseason when you, you know, like I, you see these, these media analysts, they do stupid stuff like pick the Cardinals to win the Super Bowl because there's buzz in the preseason. There's clowns. Same thing can happen in the mock drafts. You got to be careful, right? Wise words from a wise man. And in fact, this seven round version actually hints to some of what you're talking about, sort of just overanalyzing. It's like when you're at the casino at four in the morning and you're trying to convince yourself that you should stay at the blackjack table. You, yeah. you should walk, you should walk away. So that said, <laughs> pick number so this 12. Is 
blackjack moment. Who do yeah? Who do the give me? Tell me who the Packers take with their first two picks in your seven round mock. Pick twelve, they're taking Brian Burns, the edge rusher out of Florida State. Um, here's the issue: showed up at the combine two forty nine. Teams were really happy about that. Ran a really good forty time, I think four six range. He's an animal off the edge, speed guy. I think he has some strength uh, in terms of taking on offensive tackles. I've talked to, to scouts who say, yeah, he, he ain't that strong. Also, he played during the season. He was listed at 235, and I've had people tell me he played below that. So at 6'5 and 230, you're not beating a lot of right tackles and left tackles consistently with just your speed move. So he's a high-ceiling guy. He reminds me of Alden Smith, a little lighter than Alden Smith in terms of on-field productivity. And don't forget, Alden Smith was a situational pass rusher as a rookie, and that would make sense given what the, the guys they've signed in Green Bay. Alden Smith also had 14 sacks that season. He was a top-10 selection. So at number 30, I have him going offense, but not an offensive playmaker, an offensive lineman, Dalton Reisner out of Kansas State. This guy is an animal. We talked about Juwan Taylor, uh, Juwan, yeah, Juwan Taylor last episode. Uh, Dalton Reisner is similar. He went up against Montez Sweat when they played uh, Mississippi State, and that was a stalemate, and you could even argue that Reisner won more times than he lost. Right tackle can also play right guard. There's even some conversation he could kick in the center. So he's really versatile. Brian Balog is in the last year of his deal, so that provides a replacement there, and I suspect that Aaron Rodgers ain't retired anytime soon, so you want to continue to protect him. Yeah, no, I like that move. I mean, I think that one of the things that's sort of flying under the radar, and it hits home for those of us that are older, getting, getting become grizzled veterans in this business, right? You see, uh, I mean, you see, uh, TJ Lang and Josh Sitton retire in, in the same, in the same offseason. I mean, those guys were the guards for the, for the Super Bowl team that the Packers won back in 2011. And, and you forget, you know, they've had, they've done a good job of, you know, Brian Balaga, as you pointed out, is still there. Um, they, they found a couple of guys at Corey Lindsay's their center who's pretty good. But this is not an offensive line. It's, it's performed above average for the last few years, but it's not the superstar stud offensive line that they've always had. And I think it would behoove them to go out and find some, some potential uh, replacements for, for maybe some departures or some retirements in the near future. And, and Reisner does just that. Is he a guy that can, is going to be mostly, is he left tackle, right tackle most of the time? Is he, these guys confuse me how they, how they He plays up. on the right side, um, right tackle. He can probably play left guard if you wanted to play there. Also something to consider talking about this offensive line situation. And we talked about all the freelancing that Aaron Rodgers did in Mike McCarthy's system. I wonder if the offensive line will be better if Aaron Rodgers plays within a system, the system that Matt LaFleur has, and everything sort of, sort of clicks together. Because who knows what the offensive line was doing when Aaron Rodgers was calling up these crazy play calls. So that's just something to keep in mind. You see the rest of my seven-round mock draft for the Packers there. Nasir Adderley, the safety out of Delaware, I absolutely love. Great combine. Played at um, Delaware's uh, FCS school, uh, 1AA school, she's calling back in the day. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, both his parents were professional basketball players in Spain, and he will he will literally post you up in the end zone. It's actually fun to watch. He's about 6'3", 6'4", concerns about his speed, but his pro day ran a 4'4", 9", so those are alleviated, and, and he's a guy that could be a second or a third-round pick. I don't know if anyone else sticks out to you in the rest of those those names there, Wilbur. Uh, no, I mean, I think that um... – no, Tyler Jones, obviously. Yeah, thank you. Sorry. Yeah, I think Tyler Jones, the NCST, graphics department. How about a, come on, just throw a, a, one of my faces up there. Just put my face there. I really or NCST, the Wolfpack. Um, no, I think, look, uh, I think Tyler Jones is a guy that actually can make a big impact. Um, maybe not out of the gate, but a guy who's had, got a nice little floor in terms of, uh, his ability to play in, in a, in a, in a system that could work well with what Matt LaFleur is going to run. I do wonder too, like, do you think it could be a problem for that Matt LaFleur 
offense out of the gate initially. Like they're, they're used to running what Aaron Rodgers has run for so long. And now they're going to have to run, uh, what Matt LaFleur chooses to run. And maybe they're not all on the same page immediately when it comes to starting the season. Yep. I do think that's an issue. And I do want to, I want to figure out how is Aaron Rodgers going to react to that? Because we've seen him get frustrated in the huddle at Mike McCarthy, but that, look, that's built up over decades. Uh, you know, he's, Matt LaFleur is trying to accommodate him based on the comments we've seen from Matt LaFleur. He understands, uh, you know, where his bread is buttered, to borrow a phrase from my grandmother. So I'm sure he's <laughs> going to try to make Aaron Rodgers as happy as possible. So if they sputter early, I think it'll be fine. But, you know, if we're week eight, week nine, and things aren't clicking, we'll see the frustrated Aaron Rodgers out there, and then we'll probably see the freelancing Aaron Rodgers out there. And if he wins football games doing it his way, then then what's the conversation? I, I, I mean – He's done it before. They've had some success, obviously. But why do you need Matt LaFleur if Aaron Rodgers is the player coach? I, I think, that's like I said, I think there's more pressure on this team than any other team in the NFL. And you, you need to – you're not going to make the fans happy unless you come out with some perfect combination of defensive stud who can wreck games and offensive weapon. And, and it's going to be interesting. Like if they draft two offensive linemen in the first round, which is not – out of the question at all. They're trying to remake that offensive line for Matt LaFleur. Um, you know, you can see some unhappy fans and maybe an unhappy quarterback when, when the offense isn't, uh, isn't rolling right along. All right. Let's move to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Your Pittsburgh Steelers. Did you, did you, did you have a hard time, uh, being objective with your seven round mock when it came to giving the Steelers? Like, do you feel like, do you feel like experience is better or is it like, do you have to, can you separate your emotions of what you want the Steelers to do? Or did you have players who like dropping to the Steelers? Before I get into that, I, I can't believe you didn't comment on me raising the roof when you mentioned the Steelers. I, I, I haven't raised the roof in 15 years. And, uh, I, I would presume that one Matt Brodsky, in our, new manager Matt Brodsky, congratulations right. on your position, Brodsky. Uh, I would presume that he is ripping that gif as we speak. Yeah, I don't even know if the kids know what raise the roof means, but uh, look it up on my space. Why are you trying to touch the ceiling? Is that the Michael Jordan ceiling is the roof? Thing? That's right. So yeah, uh, you that, sort of you sort of hinted crap. at this. You hinted at this. Uh, I'm a Steelers homer. You may have heard, Brinson. I went to college with Mike Tomlin. I don't tell people <laughs> that very often, but they desperately need a middle linebacker, inside linebacker. Ryan Shazier is irreplaceable, but they need to replace him. They weren't able to do that last year. Devin Bush falls to twenty. In real life, he will not fall to twenty. If that was a, a sequence of events ahead. Uh, early on in, in the first round of that draft where Devin White fell to 11 to, to the Bengals and then, um, other guys went play, um, skill position playmakers. So Devin Bush fell to 20. Steelers grabbed him without hesitation. I don't think he'll be there in real life. Um, but then in the second round, they circle back and take Darnell Savage, a safety out of Maryland who ran like a 4-3-7 at the combine, but you watch him play. He will blow you up from deep in the secondary. He can also play in the slot and cover, and that's what they need, even though they drafted a safety last year in the first round in Terrell Edmonds. You need these guys who can play deep but also play in coverage because of the way the NFL offenses are going. And then at number 66, one of my favorite players in the draft, 5'8", so he's about two inches taller than you, Brinson, 185, ran a four, <laughs> <laughs> ran a 4-3 and change at the combine, which I didn't even care about. I knew he was fast already. So he was a sprint, like national sprint champ in high school from Ohio. He beat Denzel Ward in the 100 in Ohio when they were both in high school and they raced against one another. He, um, UMass guy, huge numbers against really good D1 teams. How many yards do you think he had against DeAndre Baker in Georgia last year uh, in their 2018 matchup? Uh, how fast do you think I can Google Andy Isabella's stats? 219. Uh, 
What? 219 against Georgia? DeAndre Baker told our guy Barrett Sally that he is the toughest guy he had to match up against last year. And he showed that at the combine. He's, he is not a slot guy. You see him, you go, oh, this guy's Julian Edelman, this guy's Wes Welker, this guy's Danny Amendola. He is not. He is a sprinter and he will sprint right past you inside, outside. He can obviously like run jet sweeps and all that other stuff. So I like him as a third round pick. He might be gone before that, but I think he helps the Steelers again try to replace, uh, Antonio Brown, the man who, who shall not be named, uh, who is now going to lose a bunch of games in Oakland. Uh, Andy Isabella had, Five games with more than 174 yards last year. What is the Liberty? He, look at the Liberty output. What do you do against Liberty? Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. Let's say, uh, uh, there was triple overtime, 62 to 59 final score, nine catches for 303 wow. yards. That's an 33.7 yards per catch, two touchdowns. He had 13 that touchdowns last year. That's pretty good. That's good. Look, it's against bad competition, but whatever. Um, do you really think he'll fall that far to 66? I feel like, the, the, this wide receiver class is really interesting because there's, there's, I liken it to like an ice cream shop. There's all kinds of different flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have the Andy Isabella, you have the Akeem Butler, you have the Inkeel Harry, Kelvin Harmon, big body types. Then you got the Marquise Brown, AJ Browns, you have DK Metcalf, the, the chocolate ice cream on steroids. It, 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 it'll be interesting to see how these guys come off the board. That would mean that the Patriots pass on him like 17 times with their first and second round picks. Yeah, and he seems like a Patriot player for all the obvious reasons. He could go in the second round. It would not surprise me. He's Paris Campbell is another guy from Iowa State who ran really well at the Combine, runs a lot of underneath routes. Isabella ran deep routes, and that's something we didn't see um, them do with, with Paris Campbell at Ohio State. He can do it. We don't know how effectively, so that could could um, make some teams interested, more interested in Andy Isabella. So I think second round, it wouldn't shock me. If he went to the top of the second round, like if he went to the Cardinals, for example, that wouldn't necessarily surprise me, um, especially if they took Kyler Murray, number one, just to get all the short players at once and build the shortest team in NFL history. But, yeah, if he's there in the third round, the Steelers had him in for a private workout, so I, they clearly like him, and I think if he's there, uh, they would be very interested in taking him. Where, like, on a scale of one to ten in terms of importance that they nail this draft, where does this Steelers draft rank with all the stuff that went on? You mentioned Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, of course. Big Ben has been out here. Uh, I mean, he can't even help himself. He's like, oh, we're here early. We're here together. We love each other so much here in Pittsburgh. We're just clearly firing passive aggressive, not so subtle shots back at Antonio Brown. AB has been a psychopath. On, on, uh, on every single social media site available, uh, treating it, it's like the guy who broke up with it, like, di- divorced his wife and now is just setting fire to social media with pictures of his, of his new lady friends. What do you think, um, where does this rank for the Steelers in terms of importance, this draft to really catapult them into 2019? You said one to ten. It's, a, it's a ten. And if you look at the, the seven picks I have them taking, there are a lot of, Big, uh, big time athlete, big time playmakers, guys that can help that offense. And we talk all the time about the defense needing to get better. Now the offense has to get better. Le'Veon Bell's gone, but James Connors there. We know he can do it, but he can't do it alone. You got Jalen Samuels there as well, but he is not a sort of a, a, a prototypical number two running back. He can do a lot of things, catch the ball out of the backfield, but they also need help on defense. And, uh, so that explains the, the first two picks, Devin Bush and Darnell Savage. I talked about Isabella. David Sills at 141. He was um, Will Greer's favorite target at West Virginia. He's a former quarterback, a tall guy. He's not particularly athletic, but he is a he's a ball he's a a rich man's Hunter Hunter Renfro. No apologies 
Uh, apologies <laughs> to Hunter Renfro for the rich man's Hunter Renfro. Yeah, he they're the same player. David Stills has a little more athleticism, but look, they liked him a lot. They brought him for a private workout. One seventy five, Bryce Love. He's from Cary or Raleigh. Where's he from? Uh, he's from Wake Forest, I think. Same place as uh, Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, not okay. Demarcus Lawrence. Dexter Lawrence. Excuse me. So he's from he's from North Carolina. Went all the way to Stanford. Should have come out after his junior year. He had a fantastic junior season. Ankle injuries last year. Then he tore his ACL in in January or February, uh, or excuse me, December January. So he missed all the pre draft stuff. He's an amazing running back and make catches out of the backfield if he's healthy. Another athlete, Deontay Johnson at 207 out of Toledo. He had a big game against the U up in Toledo. Had two touchdowns. Really shifty guy. Day three guy. And then Jordan Brown's a South Dakota State cornerback who had a pretty good senior bowl. He's a big cornerback that can help along the edge. We know that Artie Burns is, is struggling even as we speak, even though they're not doing anything. So need to replace him, their former first round pick in 2016. So yes, 10 uh, in terms of nailing this draft, how important it is. And that's also why I have them drafted just a ton of athletes who can come in and just do athletic things and help you, hope it helps you win football games. I do think this is an interesting job by you. And look, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm half joking. Like you're, you know, you're, you love the Steelers and you want to see them get better on, I mean, on D, I mean, you know, you're objective enough to do your job. I'm not saying that, but like, was there some kind of wish casting here as you're going through it? You're like, I could give Andy Isabella to the Patriots. No, here's somebody else I can take. Oh, look, Andy Isabella fell to 66. Now he's at the Steelers. But I, mean, I think all like the, these first four or five picks are totally viable, and we could see them happen and see it play out where they get Devin Bush, they get Darnell Savage. And this is this is how the Steelers should fix things with their organization. Not that they're that far broken right now, but they should use their early picks on defense. We know they have a good def- a good offensive line. We know they have talent at wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster. They drafted James Washington. Uh, they brought back in Dante Moncrief or brought in Dante Moncrief to be the the new uh, the new um, Darius Hayward Bay of uh, <laughs> of the Steelers organization. Maybe Martavis you know? Bryant. <laughs> yeah, maybe Mar- well, I just mean like the free agent who occasionally catches a big catch but doesn't yeah. really do do anything. Mostly blocks. Um, you know, they, they have they have some talent at tight end. I think Vance McDonald could be set for a nice year. Clearly, James Conner and, and Jalen Samuels are good. So, they, like, the offense is basically in place. Kevin Colbert just needs to do what he's done the last 10 years, which is dig into the draft in the second and third rounds, maybe a little bit later, pluck some wide receivers. You've got him going Andy Isabella and, and David Sills and turn those guys into pro bowlers. I mean, it's pretty easy. It's not that hard to do. If you're the Steelers, apparently, they do it all the time. We see them do it with Martavis Bryant, uh, Antonio Brown, Emmanuel Sanders, Mike Wallace. Uh, I'm sure that Juju Smith-Schuster was a, a later pick. Uh, they, this is their bread and butter, how they butter their bread, like your grandmother says. And so that makes a lot of sense to me to go defense early and then wide receiver late. If they do this and they pull off something like this and these guys hit the way you think they can hit, um, should the Steelers be favored to win that division? Yeah, I think so. I'm hesitating because we'll see those first six games with the Browns that we talked about. I'm not feeling great about the Ravens' chances, and I think it's all a function of how can they they perform as an offense if they're not solely running the ball. And so, yeah, I think that the Steelers are accustomed to winning football games. They clearly missed the playoffs last year through their own doing. And one other thing I'll point out, we, we sort of make fun of John Elway about being terrible at evaluating quarterbacks, and if he calls your name, that means you're destined to failure. Kevin Colbert and the Steelers are terrible at finding cornerbacks in the first round. I love Byron Murphy out of Washington. I would love for them to take him at 20 if he's there, but that just means he's going to be terrible. So I would just say pass on him, focus on other needs. If Devin Bush is there, get him. If you trade up a spot or two and Devin Bush happens to fall to 18 or something, try to get him there as well. Last year they wanted Rashawn Evans. They wanted Leighton Vander Esch. They weren't going to get Roquan Smith. So they need to fill that that void, and if they can do it with Devin Bush, all the power to them. Just don't take a cornerback, whatever you do in round one. 
Steelers have a really tough schedule to start, by the way, just quickly pointed out. They're at the Patriots course in week one. They're six point underdogs there. I guess a few too many points. I would take the Steelers no now. It'll get down to like three or three. It'll get down to like four and a half by the time. And lose season. by two touchdowns. No way. They'll keep it close. They beat the Patriots last year. The Patriots don't look that good. Uh, then they get the Seahawks at home, at the 49ers, Bengals at home, Ravens at home, and at the Chargers before a week seven bye. Pretty imperative that this team comes out hot and, and doesn't do that sort of sluggish. Like this is where I almost think the, the Bell and Brown stuff is going to help them because Big Ben looks motivated to have a bleep you season. Like he, I guarantee. <laughs> At some point in the next, uh, let's see, what is it? We're in, we're in April right now. Um, at some point in the next four months, we're going to hear something about how Big Ben has shifted to an all quinoa diet and he's expecting big things out of, uh, out of, out of himself this year. Um, and, and the way that he plays, I like the Steelers. I think they can get off to a hot start and think they can, they can ultimately, um, end up, uh, end up having a good start and, and winning that division. I like them as a value there. I probably like they're over in games one. Last team that we're going to cover the team that's playing the Steelers in week one, the New England Patriots. Uh, Ryan, what do you think the approach is going to be? Is this a uh, shotgun fire? Like, what does just, that mean? Just take your shotgun and fire fire second-round picks all over the place and hope some of them work out? So they have 12 picks because we know they love trading down and then accumulating picks for the, the subsequent draft and, and then doing it all over again. And here's something that's really interesting. Jim Nagy, the, the, who is the director of the Senior Bowl, was a scout for 18 years, uh, including some time with New England. He said recently that New England's draft board, how many, th- how many players do you think will they have on their draft board once the draft rolls around that Thursday? 254 six, picks is six, how many seven rounders? How many do they have? 666 players. On the Cl- close. They have 75 players on their draft board. 75. So that gets you midway through the third round. And then you're, you're done. You're trading picks. You're not just, you don't even know who you're taking. So they have 75 guys they want. And that's why they move up and down. That's why they sometimes take guys that don't, don't make sense. Logan Mankins going early in the first round back in the day caught some people by surprise. Why would you take a guard that high? He turned out to be a pretty good football player. So that said, they have 12 picks. Don't expect them to use them all. And we sort of hinted at it in, in the previous segment with the Steelers. Why didn't the Patriots take Andy Isabella in the third round? So the Steelers have the 66 pick. With Isabella, two picks before that, the old Patriots are on the clock. But they take, uh, sort of get ahead of myself here, they take Zach Allen, the defensive end, out of Boston College. They lost some guys in the defensive end, including Michael Bennett, so he makes sense there. And there's the entire mock draft. 32, another reason they didn't take Andy Isabella. At 32, they take A.J. Brown, the big slot receiver you mentioned earlier. Reminds me of Juju Smith-Schuster. He's a volume catch guy, and in the right offense, uh, uh, you know, knock on wood, quote-unquote, whatever, Patriots, he's going to catch 60 or 70 balls as a rookie if he's got the, the right frame of mind, and he seems like a kid that will. Big yard after the catch guy. And our buddy Andy Benoit wrote about this last week on SI.com about what makes Tom Brady so great and all the obvious cliches. But it's not just the accuracy. It's the precision accuracy that he hits guys in stride as they're running crossing routes that allows him yard after catch. That fits exactly what A.J. AJ Brown does really well. So that's a guy that makes a ton of sense at 32. And then at 56, they begin the process of trying to replace Rob Gronkowski which is going to be a near impossible with just one person. But Jay Sternberger is a really athletic tight end at Texas A&M. One-year production. Here's the thing that I have a question about with him. You watch him play, he's a lot of fun. But he had played at Kansas. He was there two years, had one catch, and then he went to junior college before he ended up at Texas A&M. How do you have one catch being as good as he is? Is that the offense? Was that him? Did he have a a change of heart, a change of mind, whatever? But he's a really good football player. And um, then down there in the four, at the bottom of the third round, their last compensatory pick, is your guy at 101 there? What do you think about that? 
Uh, look, I got to give you credit. When you look at this draft as a whole, this is a chef kiss Patriots draft. <laughs> they get the AJ Brown player there. They get the you know middle. They get the value guy in Sternberger, the tight end. Um, they get a couple of Boston College guys, real big Catholic, you know, meat and potatoes monsters to step in there and make an impact up up north. And then Finley, I think, is look. Finley's older. He doesn't have the arm strength. Um, he basically has all the knocks that you would have had against Tom Brady when he came out. I'm not saying yeah. that Ryan Finley would be Tom Brady, but I do think in that system that they run where they ask you to be precise, as you point out, to run those crossing routes, to operate um, before the snap, to make some defined reads, and to, uh, to to work within the pocket and the framework of the offense, I think that's what Ryan Finley is. Now, I don't know if he can develop into a you know full-time starter. I think he can definitely develop into a very good backup. And we saw, you know, he struggled against really good defenses in his career at NC State. If you do the splits and you look at how he did against Clemson and top 50 Mm. defense and and those uh, teams like that, and you watch the games against Clemson, it really sinks in that he was much better against, you know, beating up on some bad teams. But he had a lot of, you know, he had a lot of weapons too. But if you think about the system around him, right? I mean, big high point catch guys, a strong offensive line, played with Joe Tooney, of course. You know, it's not too dissimilar to what the Patriots have, uh, those crossing weapons, the modern guys who can, who can get open. Uh, I, I think it makes a lot of sense to put Finley at, at New England. Wouldn't be surprised at all if he was one of those guys that they went out and chased after there in the, in, in late in the third round. I think it's a pretty good spot for him. And let me ask you this. Who's better? Would you rather have Ryan Finley at 24 or whatever he's going to be or Brian Hoyer? They're basically the same person 10 years apart, right? I thought you were going to say Daniel Jones at six or Ryan Finley at one one. I was like, sign me up for Finley all day. I don't see I why think people. So. Are... I agree with that too. Yeah, I mean, or like, or Daniel Jones at thirty-two or whatever it is. I just, I would much rather have Finley than Jones, given their relative price points. And yeah, I mean, I think Hoyer. The one thing that you like with Hoyer is, you know, that story came out about him, uh, you know, looking over all the Rams tape and finding tendencies of the Rams. I think it was the Rams for the Super Bowl. But he, you know, he's a veteran guy who can do a lot of work like that. But I think that. um like, like, Brian Hoyer's a great help to the, the quarterback room, but I think they do need to at least think about taking another shot at a quarterback here. They've done it for years. I mean, they drafted Matt Castle, they drafted Hoyer, uh, they drafted Jimmy Garoppolo, they drafted Ryan Mallett. Yeah, Ryan Mallett. This is a team that takes chances on quarterbacks fairly early in the draft because they know worst case scenario, it pans out and you've got a great asset that you can flip for, for something down the road. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if Finley there at, at 101 makes sense with a compensatory pick. I think they're a team that's going to move back a lot too. I think you'll see that a lot. They know that this draft is really strong from like 25 to 55. And I think you'll see them condense some of those picks in there and, and to try to amass as much second and third and fourth round talent as they can. So a couple of guys, I don't know. Did you watch Greg Dortch at Wake Forest at all? Yeah, Dorch is the man. I mean, that's another guy that's perfect in this Patriots thing, like a, a playmaker who's underrated because of his size, et cetera, right. et cetera, who just comes in and dominates for the Patriots. That's right. So that you're exactly right about Dorch. And then one pick later, you can see a 252, uh, two picks later, excuse me, Trace McSorley, the quarterback out of Penn State, who was asked to work out as a DB at the combine. He said, uh, no, thank you. I'm going to be a quarterback. So the Steelers, uh, the Steelers, the Patriots will draft him and he can call himself whatever he wants. But he, in my mind, I think he ran a four, five, seven. Uh, at, at the combine, which is moving. He had the highest, uh, fastest quarterback there. In my mind, he could be the next Julian Edelman if he wants to be. He played D back in high school. He clearly knows how to play positions other than quarterback, the skill position play, uh, uh, positions. What do you think about Trace McSorley as a flyer, the next Julian Edelman? Um, and you know, your emergency quarterback like Julian Edelman is, I suppose, if they lose Brian Hoyer and Tom Brady. Uh, I mean, like, what will happen is they'll draft McSorley with the 252nd overall pick. 
uh, and he'll end up throwing a touchdown and intercepting a, like a touchdown <laughs> attempt in the, in the 2052 Super Bowl as Belichick with like two cyborg arms, like slaps Josh right. McDaniels in the back. It's like, next year you'll replace me, Josh. <laughs> uh, this is it, Josh it, McDaniels on, on an oxygen tank, meanwhile. Yeah, yeah, McDaniels is wheeling out there, right? Like, and Brady, Brady's like looking back at like Ryan Finley's corpse and laughing, like, I'm still starting, guys. No, I think, I think this is a great draft, uh, for the Patriots. You know, when, um, I mean, what, when you talk about that 75, you know, player board, uh, you know, how much, I mean, how eager do you think they are to actually pick in the first round? I mean, don't you, don't, doesn't it feel like moving off of 32 is something they're going to do if they get any kind of offer to move back to like, you know, 37 or 38 or even in the 40s. It just feels like a, a picture perfect Patriot. Or actually, think of it this way. If you're, if you're the Patriots, would you rather have AJ Brown and Jay, uh, Sternberger in those spots or would you rather trade those two picks to move up and get TJ Hawkinson? That's the thing. That's right. So they have 12 picks, six picks in the first three rounds. If they love, uh, TJ Hawkinson, they have the ammunition to do it. Uh, I think they traded up a long way to get Jared Mayo back in the day, the linebacker that was sort of also sort of a surprise they did that at the time. He was also a very good player. And you only look, you have seventy five guys historically. I don't know maybe this year their their draft board is different, but if it's only seventy five and you love TJ Hawkinson or Noah Fan or even Irv Smith and you feel like you need to trade up to get him, they'll they'll do it and they won't think twice about it. And the next thing you next picture we'll see is Bill Belichick laying out on that on that floaty pad there with no shirt on enjoying his time in, in Bermuda. I think Mayo was actually a, Mayo might have actually been a trade down, but I do know that they used, remember they used the, uh, when the, the Saints traded up and got Mark Ingram in 2011, and then the Patriots were like, we have to have Donta Hightower, and they moved up oh, to yeah. grab him. Um, but yeah, I mean, like they, if Bill Belichick is very specific about how he operates, and you're, you're spot on, like he wants to trade back and he wants to accumulate assets and he wants to have more bullets to, to shoot at the, at the various, uh, prospects out there, that's a bad, Phrasing, but you get the metaphor. Um, and uh, but he, if he sees somebody he likes, he'll he'll fire up and go get him. Although you remember, famously, he told um, Thomas Dimitrov he should not trade up all the way from from twenty five to six to get uh, to get Julio, Julio Jones. I agree with that. I mean, that was the right call. Julio worked they, out all right. Um, okay. But the plan is to win a Super Bowl. They didn't win a Super Bowl. What grade would you give the Patriots for your hypothetical move here? That's an A. I think they struggle with historically with drafting wide receivers, but. You know, they have Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, and I always say if you have those two guys, you're fine. If they trade up, if they give up like three of those top six, uh, top six picks to go get Hawkinson, I love it. I think he'll be a guy that immediately produces because he's playing with Tom Brady. And if they draft Ryan Finley at the end of the third round, I think that makes a ton of sense as well. I think he's a guy you can groom. He ain't going to play for five years, but at least you have plan B <laughs> behind Brian Hoyer. He'll be 41 by the time Tom Brady retires. Uh, all right. That'll do it for us on this uh, full-blown video program. And for the podcast, the second day in a row, uh, we'll be back tomorrow and throughout this week with tons of draft content. We'll be blowing the roof off the sucker. Ryan will raise it, and I'll, 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 I'll take it dab. off the top. Uh, in Nashville, I'll do some, we'll do some dabbing. Uh, so make sure and check out tons of great content on CBS Sports HQ, on Pick 6 Podcast. Check us out on Instagram, of course. Um, the social team is killing it. They're up for a Webby. The CBS Sports social team is up for a Webby. They might win two of them. Well-deserved stuff. Uh, they're crushing it on the Instagram and, and Twitter feeds for Pick 6 Pod. And, uh, of course, you can subscribe, subscribe, rate, and review. And check us out on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that little subscribe button that's right below you and become one of the millions who will eventually subscribe to CBS Sports and the Pick 6 Pod on YouTube. Ryan, it's been a blast. Talk to you soon, friend. Thank you, buddy. 